I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we are discussing China and the international order. In May of last year, the RAND Corporation released a report titled China and the International Order. Research questions guiding the report were about the elements of the current international order that China supports, the trajectory of China's engagement with the international order, and the potential effects of changes to the post-war order on U.S. interests. The report also made policy recommendations for how the United States should manage China's rise within the international order. And the key findings of the report paint a very complex picture of China's relationship with the international order. The report itself is part of a larger study that the RAND Corporation is conducting on the future of the current post-war international order. To discuss China's views of and engagement with the international order, I am joined by Tim Heath. Dr. Heath is a senior international defense research analyst at the RAND Corporation in Washington, D.C. Prior to joining RAND, he served as the senior analyst for the U.S. Pacific Command's China Strategic Focus Group for five years. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Bonnie, for inviting me. So let's start by talking about the definitions of the post-war international order. How does China's definition of the order differ from the definition that's used by the United States and other Western countries? Well, when we talk about the international order, there are usually several components that are wrapped up in that idea. And it may be helpful to tease them apart before we discuss how China's view differs from that of many Western countries. In the report, we identified three components. First, there is what we call the institutional order. And this is, I think, what most of us think about when we hear the term international order. These are the institutions, the treaties, the agreements that are generally multilateral in nature of economic, security, political, a wide range of topics. The second component is what we identified as the principles of multilateral actions. And these are principles that underpin all the institutional engagement. And, and they involve principles that all nations agree essentially to abide by. And these include principles like respect for sovereignty, and a principle of non-aggression. These are very important for maintaining order in the international community. The third component is essentially a, a loose coalition of countries that share a lot of values and generally tend to be democracies and friends or partners of the United States. And this group of countries forms the, a coalition that uh, is responsible for a large part of the collaborative activity and uh, cooperation to achieve results at the international level. Now, China's view, I think, differs from the West in the sense that while it can recognize all these components, China makes a distinction between aspects of the international system that it feels are uh, legitimate and those that are essentially just relics of the fact that the Western powers have dominated and established international order. For example, for China, values and norms that favor human rights and liberal democracy or that favor U.S. alliances, China fundamentally questions whether that's really essential or if it's simply a relic and can be changed and modified as the international system or situation evolves. So the RAND report concludes that China is a conditional supporter of the international order. Can you elaborate on what you mean by conditional? 
Well, uh, it's worth remembering that China was not a founding supporter of this international order. This is largely uh, the United Nations, the World Trade Organization, World Bank. A lot of these institutions were formed by the United States and its allies. China entered late in the game. And so China's commitment to these institutions, we shouldn't assume is going to be as robust as that of the U.S. and its partners. In the report, we specify that China has conditions its support on how much these institutions and this international order facilitates China's goals of becoming a great power. To the extent the institutions facilitate that, China is willing to support and participate and uh, engage in aspects of the international order to the extent that China feels any aspect of the order is an obstacle or not helpful, they will circumvent, work around, or seek to undermine aspects of the international order. So Chinese officials often say that the international order is unjust or unfair, but they're not very transparent about what aspects are unfair or what exactly they seek to change about the international order. And in your study of this question, were you able to identify what it is that China is dissatisfied with about the international order, other than the fact that it wasn't there at the creation? A very good question. And you're right that it is something of a paradox that Chinese officials routinely assert that they support and uphold the international order, yet in the same, often in the same sentence, they will insist that this international system is unfair and unjust and it should be reformed and revised. So when they say that the international order is something they support, often what they're talking about are those formal aspects, those actual organizations like the United Nations and the IMF and the World Trade Organization that is generally open to all countries and that China finds considerable advantage in participating in. When they criticize uh, our aspects of the international system as unjust and unfair, what they're talking about are aspects that are often not institutionalized, are more norms or uh, informal arrangements or even alliances that, that may be codified between the U.S. and its allies, but not, not necessarily part of the U.N. or, or its related relation, uh, organizations. And they believe that it is this informal aspect that is unfair and unjust because uh, they, in, in China's argument, it, it privileges the Western countries, it privileges norms and values of human rights and democracy that China finds either threatening or potentially an obstacle to the achievement of its own goals. The Chinese have identified global governance and reform of global governance as an area that uh, China wants to play a bigger role in. And Xi Jinping himself uh, has been talking about this uh, uh, up until the middle of last year. He was saying China should guide uh, the reform of global governance. Uh, but at the Foreign Affairs Work Conference uh, last June, he actually called for China to lead global governance uh, reform. So why do you think Xi Jinping wants to assert a bigger role? And is this a primary area that we should look to uh, to uh, try and, and understand and predict where China is going to seek to change and influence the international mm. order? That's another really good question. Where, where is China going in its views of global governance? I think 
the change in China's position on this issue reflects the reality that it is in some ways outgrown the uh, an international order that nurtured its rise. China is now the second largest economy in the world. It is integrated in the global economy, and its interests now span the world. Uh, in the views of the Chinese leadership, the arrangements that exist are, are, are well designed to support the needs of Western countries, but not well designed to support China's needs. So a good example of that is the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, in China's view, this is a, a key aspect of global governance, finding ways to uh, invest and build infrastructure in developing countries in Asia. The West hasn't made it a priority, so China is going to take up a leadership role and commit to building that up. So since you asked about the Belt and Road Initiative, from the perspective of countries like the United States and others that are seeking to preserve the international order, should this Belt and Road Initiative be seen as a challenge? Uh, should it be seen as a strategy that Xi Jinping has? Is it more top-down? Is it bottom-up? Is it coordinated? Uh, should we be worried about it? Or does it present opportunities? You know, you could say that uh, it's a little bit of all of those, I think. I think uh, there's certainly aspects of the Belt and Road Initiative that are beneficial to certainly countries in that part of the world that have been largely neglected in some cases uh, by the more mainstream uh, development agencies. But clearly, China is hoping to leverage its economic cloud to expand its influence and to uh, marginalized in some cases the influence of the United States and its allies. So I, I see aspects of both um, a reinforcing of the international order through investment and development of, of Central Asia, Southeast Asia, and yet clearly there are some aspects designed to challenge, especially that informal, that alliance uh, structure and, and those norms of human rights and democracy that China's always criticized, there's, there's certainly an element of a challenge there as well. The RAND report judges China's behavior toward three international norms, uh, human rights, nonproliferation, and non-aggression. So which one of these norms do you think China is um, adhering to closely? Which one adhered to the least and why? So China's behavior has certainly varied over time, but if we were to look at just the past decade or so, uh, our report judged that China's behavior on nonproliferation has been most similar to U.S. goals. This is not to deny that in the past, China has been a serious violator of nonproliferation when, when it, for example, uh, aided Pakistan in developing nuclear weapons. However, in the past 10, 15 years, China's interest in controlling the spread of nuclear weapons has in some ways converged with the U.S. If nuclear weapons were continued to spread, some of the likely candidates could include Japan or South Korea. Uh, North Korea already has them. And, and a situation where China is ringed by more and more nuclear-armed countries, some of whom have serious issues with China, is, is a very threatening development. So. It is in China's interests, and they have shown a willingness to uh, be a better supporter of nonproliferation. Uh, next to that, I would say non-aggression. Uh, clearly, there are some issues there. Um, but in general, China has abided by the letter of the law. 
They have not invaded and subjugated other countries or, or tried to take away territory, but certainly they have coerced and strong-armed uh, reefs, rocks, islands, mostly uninhabited, but uh, nevertheless disputed. And uh, China has shown a willingness to resort to extra-legal means to seize control. Scarborough Reef is one of the most e egregious examples. But I, I think it is worth reiterating that in terms of the letter of the law, they have avoided the kind of military aggression that has really worried countries the most. Not, not that China's uh, coercion is, is, is not a worry. It, it definitely is. And then I think the area where Chinese behavior has been most unsettling and uh, problematic has been regarding human rights. This has been a perennial issue for China, and under President Xi Jinping, we have seen serious backsliding or, or egregious violations that have been very alarming. If you look out over the next, say, five to 10 years, do you think that China will rely more on use of force to protect its interest and to influence the international order? Or do you think that China will try to adhere to this norm of non-aggression? I think uh, it will depend on the feasibility of getting away with something like that, as well as the incentive. Currently, I think uh, you know, the most likely candidate where China might be tempted to use force would be Taiwan. But I think the feasibility of pulling that off, given the cost that would be involved and set back to its broader strategic interests, uh, the riskiness of that endeavor, currently I still think do not favor China taking that route. So I think in the near term, I still view it as unlikely China will resort to armed force to seize uh, things that are, are more risky, uh, simply because the payoff isn't quite there yet. One of the ways that China has tried to influence the international order is by creating parallel institutions. And uh, we saw this very early on. It was the Shanghai Five, later became the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Then we had the BRICS. And of course, a couple of years ago, China stood up the Asia Infrastructure investment bank. Are these Chinese-led institutions really intended to be alternatives to their Western-led counterparts? Should we see them as challenges to the international order? Do you have any sense as to how China evaluates the efficacy of creating these parallel institutions? Well, in terms of are these Chinese-led institutions designed to be a challenge or designed to be an alternative, the way I view them is that all of these institutions, these parallel structures, what they are designed to do is support China's revitalization as a great power. They are designed to serve the country's needs as Beijing has defined it. In the judgment of Beijing, existing institutions are too heavily slanted, or at least they favor the interests of the United States and Western countries, and they do not accommodate China's uh, needs sufficiently. And that's why China has felt compelled to establish these alternatives. I think there's certainly also a geopolitical element to this. China is eager to be seen as more of a leader in the world. They have an interest in being seen as a creator of organizations and not simply a member of U.S. and Western-led organizations. So you cannot discount the reality that there is definitely a geopolitical aspect of these institutions and the fact that they suggest that China is a leader, that China can manage international institutions and deliver goods to developing countries, uh, that certainly 
has to have been a part of the calculation when Beijing set these up. You know, another way that China could influence the international order more effectively might be uh, by forging its own alliances. And that's something we really have not seen. It, the only country that China has a, a treaty with is North Korea. And based on a sort of Western definition of alliance, that is really not a military alliance. Do you think that going forward that China might reevaluate the desirability of having alliances and seeing that as an effective way of both protecting and advancing its interest as well as shaping the international order? A very good question, and I think increasingly of relevance. You recall earlier in our conversation, I, I mentioned that third aspect of the international order is loose coalition of countries that supports a lot of the values and ideals of the United States. And it's really been critical for the U.S. to exercise influence and leadership and get what it wants and, and, uh, and manage issues. And China sees that. They recognize the value of that. They are in some ways, I would say, envious uh, that the U.S. has this broad network of friends and partners that China does not have. Now, what has been interesting under President Xi Jinping is that China is attempting to build something similar. They have spoken repeatedly and have put into place policies to try and build a network of what they call partners. So this is not an alliance. There's no evidence that they want to build a military alliance, but they definitely want to build a network of partner countries that share a lot of China's concerns, frustrations with the West, and eagerness to reorient uh, the existing international order to the needs of China, to Russia, to developing countries, Africa, and, uh, and prioritize their interests over those of Western countries. So it's been a very interesting to see how China is trying to build this partnership. I think it's a challenge for them because, uh, you know, in, in the words of one person, uh, uh, a lot of the good allies have already been taken. And so China's uh, options for building partners um, is more constrained. But nevertheless, they are, are trying to build a global partnership network. I want to talk a little bit about the policy recommendations that are put forward in uh, the RAND report. And uh, one is a recommendation that the United States develop a comprehensive strategy to sustain and expand China's role in the international order. Um, so what specifically can the U.S. and other countries do to give China a stronger stake in this international system? So I think when we try to look forward in terms of uh, the future, how China will behave will be influenced by two factors. First, their their motivation to want to challenge or, or, or circumvent the international order, and two, the feasibility of that. Our report recommends a series of policies that address both. A successful U.S. policy, in my view, would convince the Chinese that it's neither feasible nor desirable for them to try to build an alternative international order. Um, and it's a, that's a, a tall challenge, but I think it's, it's, the, it's the right direction to go. We can't deny China a role in the international order. It's too big. And we cannot contain them or, or, or marginalize China. They're critical to the global economy and they're a key player in a lot of uh, global issues. 
Similarly, China is not going to be able to overturn the U.S. leadership role. They simply don't have the international support for that, and they are simply not strong enough and won't be for a long time, won't be strong enough to challenge the U.S. in that position. So we're facing a situation of uh, essentially a wrestling match to determine who will have the greater influence in shaping the terms of the international order. Here are a couple of things that the U.S. can do first. Most paramount is the U.S. needs to continue to work on getting its house in order, building its own economic strength, technological leadership, uh, military capability, and crucially, its its network of allies and partners. This is a huge strategic advantage the U.S. has. Chinese recognize it, and we should be doing everything we can to strengthen and invigorate that to, to make it a powerful constituency to support U.S. leadership. Second thing we can do is find ways for China to have its interests addressed in U.S.-led uh, institutions. For example, IMF. The Chinese complained they did not feel they were getting a fair voting share in, in the International Monetary Fund. If the U.S. had found a way to make a reasonable accommodation, perhaps the Chinese would have less motivation to build uh, the, some of these alternative um, financial institutions that they end up doing. So finding ways to reasonably accommodate or meet China on some issues is one, one aspect. The other thing we can do is step up U.S. involvement in Chinese-led initiatives. We, we should demand or, or press the Chinese to expand the U.S. role in AIIB and any of these various uh, security and economic-related institutions that Chinese are developing. That would give the U.S. an opportunity to help shape, shape how those grow and uh, I think would help uh, bridge the, the, the differences between the U.S. and Chinese-led kind of institutions. And then another thing the U.S. can do is, in, in terms of deterring the Chinese from considering it feasible to build an alternative uh, array of institutions, uh, is to st strengthen our military deterrence. I think that is still part, a very important part of our strategy for dealing with China. Um, and to the extent the Chinese see U.S power as uh, difficult to challenge and the uh, U.S. coalition of, of uh, supporters is robust, this can help persuade the Chinese perhaps that their best option is to work within the existing order and to minimize their divergence and uh, creation of alternatives. Great recommendations. When the Chinese look at the international order today, um, it's my sense that they continue to see the relative decline of the United States, something they've really, I think, been predicting since the uh, global financial crisis. Maybe the United States is not declining as precipitously as they thought then, but here we are more than 10 years later, and the Chinese still predict that uh, the U.S. is, is in decline. Um, and uh, Xi Jinping has talked about understanding how international system changes when there's a when there's a power transition so china is more confident in itself and its own role does that confidence do you think um, make it more likely that they will challenge the international order going forward you know uh bonnie i i think it's a great question and um i've been thinking a lot about this what the Chinese call this incredible historic moment. If you if you consider the fact, and it's, it's perhaps not as obvious to us in America and a lot of Western countries, but it seems very much on the mind of Chinese thinkers 
if you consider the fact that the dominant position of the West, that the West has maintained for at least two centuries or more, three centuries, is possibly at the moment, uh, possibly at the cusp of fading, and that the developing world, China, Russia, Africa, South Asia, Southeast Asia, are on the cusp of becoming more and more key players in driving geopolitics, you realize, wow, this, this really is incredibly portentous moment, a moment that's so different than what we've experienced for a long time. I'm not sure how all these countries are going to react to that moment. The Chinese are extremely eager for this moment because they think this means this will be their time and that they're going to have an incredible opportunity. But I still think there's reason to be skeptical in predicting that that moment is arriving quite so soon. The reality is China, for all its amazing achievements, is facing some serious uh, uh, issues, and its you know its growth model is problematic. It's not sustainable. The Chinese have struggled to transition to a higher income growth model, um, and the developing world itself is not necessarily uniform in their vision of what a post-Western-led international system should look like. And there's hardly hardly unanimity in supporting China's leadership. There's a great deal of disagreement among the developing countries about what should happen when the U.S. and Western countries have less and less clout globally. So I think uh, despite China's enthusiasm for what they see as a, a huge opportunity, there are structural factors at play that limit Beijing's options and that caused me to think that the U.S. and its allies will continue to play a very uh, critical role in shaping and leading the international system and that um, this transition that some of these Chinese leaders talk about and, and thinkers, uh, it may be premature to be anticipating that uh, anytime quite so soon. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts today, and uh, thanks to you and your colleagues for really writing a terrific report. I hope our listeners will go and read China and the International Order. We've been talking with Dr. Tim Heath, who is a senior international defense research analyst at the RAND Corporation. Thank you for having me, Bonnie.